I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcast is supported by Twin Motion, the simple real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. One and all. And you are listening to Spaces Podcasts Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, uh, we have a guest today at um, sort of a special request from a listener. A listener asked about us looking into and sort of doing updates on how workplace is evolving. After this COVID thing and kind of going forward. And there's only a couple people that came to mind, and we have one of those guests with us today. She is the first ever senior experience designer at Slack Technologies, founder of the Practice of Architecture, and co host of one of the hit shows on Gable Media, Practice Disrupted. Please help me welcome Evelyn Lee, F A I A. Hello. Evelyn, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You're at Slack now, uh, Senior Experience Designer. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and what you're doing with Slack? Yeah, so I, I have a background in architecture. I would say about maybe 20% of my work is purely office focused. So I work cross-functionally with our people ops team or our HR team, our biz tech team, 
our operations team, our real estate team, and our project management team to look at the entire employee experience, everything from being a candidate and onboarding to you know anything, any tools that support assisting in growth and learning and development to kind of even the offboarding process. So how do we make the employee experience better, especially in tech? You know, I think where the average engineer turns over every 1.7 years and there's consistently a war for talent. So that's kind of the space that I play in. 1.7 years on turnover. Wow. So through this role, you kind of spend a lot of time studying workplace and understanding sort of the what attracts employees, I imagine, what turns them off, how a space should and should not be. And you're doing a lot of research in that space, right? It is a little bit around space. I think it's equally around how do you maintain culture in a hybrid workplace and you know operations, processes, and policies that allow for greater flexibility. Um, and then because you are allowing for greater flexibility, how is the way we are using offices changing? You know, right before, so I did workplace consulting as an external consultant before coming internal to Slack. And this is true of most companies that they were already allowing some level of flexibility. So even though we were also at one-to-one desking, similar to, I feel, most companies out there where everyone has their own personal desk, but utilization and occupancy studies that I did across multiple sectors, including tech, at any given time, even though you're showing that your occupancy is 100% filled because everyone's assigned a desk, the office is only utilized 60% at best. It's usually closer to 50 or less than half of that. So, you know, as we're coming back to the office or we're thinking about what return to work is, and as we're allowing for greater flexibility where that number is going to go down less, there's been this greater desire to shift to hoteling or activity-based workplace. And that's the physical aspect is important, but also how you manage the culture, how you run projects, that's also as big of a component in, in the move to the hybrid workforce. Question on the 60%. Was that pre-COVID or you're saying during COVID? I'm saying pre-COVID. Okay. So, and that was pretty consistent. Like I had projects working with NGOs. I had projects working with government. Um, I had projects working with private companies, with public companies, like across sectors. And if you think about it, a lot of offices to some degree, you know, or especially if you're working with clients, you're never at your desk a hundred percent of the time. You're you're on site, you're meeting with clients. Yeah. Um, so there's there's only consistently, you know, a, a group of individual contributors that are probably showing up from the eight to five every day pre-COVID. So we're, we're guesstimating post-COVID with additional flexibility that that's going to go down even more so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember in when I was in the office uh, prior to leaving and being on my own, there was... That sounds about right. Maybe it's even more than um, or less than 60%. Because if you think about all the um, the rainmakers, the uh, the upper management people, they're always mm-hmm. out as Jason throws his hands up. Uh, they're always <laughs> they're always out uh, meeting, going to job sites, traveling to try and yeah. scratch up more work. So they're almost never in the office 
the people that are are the day-to-day sort of air quote grunt workers that are yep. doing I knew you were going to go with grunt workers I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that are there most of the time and probably don't want to be there all that time anyway so uh, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense you mentioned uh sort of activity based um for the for the future of these spaces can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that Right. So there's this notion of going to hoteling, which is usually a reservation system, like no one owns a desk, but you can reserve a desk. There's also hot desking. So I differentiate not, I don't know if it's an industry standard, but I differentiate hoteling as in there's actually a reservation system versus hot desking is first come first serve. Um, There's some difference in psychological choice between having like a desk ready for you when you come into the office and having to like rush and make sure you get the desk that you want. Um, Activity-based working is really, um, and this doesn't work as well for small offices, but, you know, there'll be days when I go into the offices, the office, and it's all meetings. So I won't need a desk. Like I'll just go and land in a conference room or some collaborative space for the day. Alternatively, there might be a day where I I'm going in and I need to do heads down focus work. So I want a quiet space to go do that. Mm. So rather than assigning a neighborhood where like, this is the marketing team sits, this is where, I don't know, healthcare sits, this is where education sits. It's really creating zones in the office based on the activity. So if you're going to collaborate, um, the louder, you know, the louder collaboration space is towards the front of the office, the more quiet focus spaces towards the back of the office. And depending on, you might be switching back and forth during the day, but depending on the activity you're doing, that's kind of end up where you end up sitting throughout the day. Got it. That makes sense. So Slack just recently, fairly recently went 100% remote. Is that correct? We went to digital first. Um, work. So we're saying work from every work from anywhere. The majority of our workforce has the ability to be permanently remote, um, but we're not getting rid of our offices. I, I think our offices will be. Well, I don't think. I know our offices will definitely be used differently. Um, we also just recently got acquired by Salesforce, which is another layer. But prior to the pandemic, we were at one-to-one desking. Our number of remote staff was maybe 5%, which I think is surprising to a lot of people based on our product. We are really kind of completely prototyping our product by saying we're going digital first. A lot of the team agreements that I'm seeing, especially even out of the engineer teams, is probably encouraging their teams to be on site maybe once a month. But really, it's about digital first work from anywhere. Our office will always have a place for people to go do heads down focus work. This is especially important if you're in the city like San Francisco and your bedroom is the office or you are dealing with like five other roommates because of the living situation. So we'll always have places like that in our office. But I really think the future of our workspace is really about creating on-site meetings and, and gathering spaces for teams to come together for a week, do their work, and then go back to their respective wherever they're working from. So there are sort of three options, it seems like, going forward. You're either going back to the office, there's the... 100% remote or the hybrid approach. And 
after all your studies thus far, where do you land on one? What do you think most people are going to kind of proceed with? And two, what do you think is the most optimal? So honestly, I think the most optimal is either a hundred percent in-person or a hundred percent remote. Um, only, only because the experience for everyone then is the same and you're catering for the, like the equivalent experience. So if you're optimizing for everyone on a level playing field, either or, I think most people are going to attempt to do hybrid or obviously in this, the middle of like this great resignation period where there's a lot of turnover and there's a lot of staff and employees asking for more flexibility. So I think everyone's going to do some version of the hybrid, but how successful companies are, it's going to, there's going to be really great variability there. So for me, there's a lot of companies talking about, you know, how many days are you requiring your people to be back in the office? Like, this is like the number one question that everyone is asking. And if that's the only question that you're asking, I feel like you're missing 95% of the conversation. Because if you're going to hybrid, there's a piece of the organization that has to acknowledge that you have to act as if everyone is remote. Because at any given period of time, if you're offering true flexibility, one team member is probably not going to be in the room. So how do you account for that team member? And then there's a whole bunch of things to consider even around the dynamics of if you're if you're going hybrid, then the boss needs to go hybrid. Otherwise, the boss is creating this behavior. Like if, if we're saying I, we're, we're hybrid and flexible, but I'm showing up in the office eight to five, you're like signaling that in order to be a leader at this organization, you need to come into the office eight to five. And then there's the whole dynamics between those who come into the office regularly versus those that are remote. And how do you make sure that their career path and career directory is equitable? So there's there's like a lot of nuances that this is one of the great things that Slack is actually working through, like all of these conversations. But I don't feel that the majority of the companies out there are, are getting that deep in how to make the hybrid model actually work. That is such a departure from what I thought the answer would be. <laughs> I mean, it, not even not even close because it's really it's I mean it's fascinating to me that you would say that and that I'm so shocked on on that happening because I feel to your point with the great resignation or however people are titling it, nobody wants to be in office 100 percent of the time anymore. I've even learned because I was that leader that was there all the time. Right. Even though I'm telling the team, like, don't, it's okay. You know, that kind of stuff, because I was always very performance-based management, not, I don't care if you're sitting here eight to five, you know what I mean? I want to know what you got done and what did you accomplish? And, you know, did you, did you meet your metrics? Right. And go beyond your metrics even. So if people want to growth and at the same point, I feel like you lose so much if people are out of the office hundred percent of the time because of the connectivity of, of seeing faces and and talking a little bit in some of the, the culture aspect, right. That, that I think you were talking about. And so I've, I've fallen on the idea of a 60, 40. Now, I don't, I don't think that means in the office three days out two days, I'm more of the flexibility thinking it makes more sense. If you're here for six hours instead of eight, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. I don't, I don't think that math worked out right, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Five instead of eight. Um, so you still are able to pass the paperwork. You're still able to, to get together and have magnified discussions if you need to. Um, but then you have the flexibility for school pickups and everything else that's going on and, and whatever else to be able to work that out. Um, so I find that super interesting. And I don't think there's a right answer yet. 
you know what I mean? But I, I find that really, really interesting that it was very stark. It was one way or the other. Well, only because Demetrius is really asking like, what is the optimal, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's it's one thing if you are coming from a physically based culture and trying to go oh. to remote culture. It's another if there's companies out there larger tech companies that have been entirely remote from the beginning. So that's like their culture is built in how they work with one another was it's it's already built into that type of working. So like optimally having everyone on a level playing field with where they're working, I think is one way or the other, what everybody's trying going to try to do is something in the middle. Yeah. Interesting. You were saying where you're working at, you know, you still have all these office spaces. You're going to continue to have all these office spaces. If a lot of these groups are going so, so remote, why would you want to retain those? I mean, isn't because I've seen, you know, in the conversations I've had with other business owners are like, I can't wait to be able to get out of half of this lease or whatever it is, because it's this overhead you're, you're holding that you don't need to sustain. Right. And we've begun, we've definitely begun to consolidate some of our office space, but I do think like we are a company that started out in person and, you know, had a workforce that's used to coming into the office. Mm -hmm. We see the value of building human connection. So it's either you're going to be paying for, you know, what was typically the offsite in the past where you're sending people to a hotel, Um, to have these meetings, you're probably working in spaces that are not necessarily conducive to what you want to get done, right? Versus we have these gorgeous, beautiful offices built out in the city. You know, it's Slack, it's a technology firm. Our offices have a full kitchen. We have three baristas in our 10-story building. So how do we like continue that off? And and pre-pandemic, Everybody that onboarded globally came to headquarters for a week before they went back to wherever they were located at. So in a world post-pandemic, I think there's still kind of a desire to have that ability to bring teams together. And really, I think what it means is, are we going to be taking down as much office space as we have in the past when we're growing? No, we're going to probably see how long we can continue to grow into these lease spaces that we've built out really beautifully. Um, but it's it's really going to be about creating on-sites rather than off-sites and then managing like teams that are coming in in different shifts rather than I think like a regular workforce that's yeah. going through. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break to share a little bit more about our sponsors. As you know, here on Spaces Podcast, we explore how external forces shape the built environment, which is why we love what the architecture firm Shao has done with the microlibrary Fibonacci in Kolom Park, Indonesia. The microlibrary is designed to coexist with nature all around it. You'd almost miss it if you weren't looking for it. But initially, Shao struggled to get the project approved. So the company turned to real-time ArcViz tool Twinmotion to present the design to clients, placing the structure within the context of a lush green park. This directly led to the design being signed off, and Florian was one happy customer. In his own words, he said, quote, With Twinmotion, there's not fumbling with settings, then pressing render, waiting, and reiterating until you're happy with the result. The changes appear directly on screen in real time, and the exported image or animation looks like what you've seen before. No surprises. 
To download your exclusive free trial, head to twinmotion.link spaces. That's twinmotion.link spaces. Evelyn, can you leave our listeners with like one or two tips that you've uncovered about sort of how offices are evolving and where do you think people should sort of focus on as they consider the next steps of how they proceed after all of this COVID stuff settles down? I think we're all still figuring it out. It's something that we're still, we're, I think, and I'm still struggling with as a designer of, of space, as an architect in my role about like, you know, what type of spaces do our offices actually need going forward? So first of all, there, there's this technology aspect that I think is really important. And I've already sat in on the bad side of a few of these calls where, you know, this, this we're on zoom right now, right? This is very democratizing, but being like the one person calling in while there's a pie people sitting around the table on the other side, that becomes a much harder conversation for that one person to participate in. And that becomes a norm in the hybrid office, right? Where that one person is remote. So even finding low tech ways to keep this kind of zoom infrastructure. So like literally, um, I'm in a big technology company. We just turn on the speakerphone in the center. Everyone still opens up the laptops. So they're on camera for anyone that is dialing in, but at least it keeps everybody in frame and it makes it easier for that one person to participate. We've also found that um, in this world of Zoom, a lot pe- a lot of people are using the chat more, right? So especially the quiet people that might not usually speak up in in the um, meeting, or the, you know, there's something that they, you know, there's something on the agenda that comes up that like somebody else wants to circle back to. So this allows people to use the chat more because you actually are seeing the chat versus if you're just displaying something up on a monitor, you don't see that. Um, So just little tweaks like that to think about what is the experience for the people that are not in the office and how do you make it equitable for everyone in a meeting? I think if you go into kind of every meeting with that mindset, that's helpful. Uh, The second thing that the thing that I'm really struggling with is how flexible do we make our spaces? So, you know, there's a lot of flexible furniture designs out there. Architects, I would say, being in the built environment, we're more likely to like move chairs and tables around. Um, I don't know how many demising wall systems I've seen put into offices with the thought of, as you're growing, you can change this and move this around. (laughs) Once a demising wall goes into the office, I don't care if it's built to be moved around. It never gets moved. This is the same even, I would say, in tech offices. If we dropped furniture on wheels into a space, most of our engineers, most of it, and and it's nothing on them, right? They're just going to sit down and use it. So if you're building for this greater flexibility, this greater collaboration, then you have to think about like operationally, if you're changing how you want that meeting to function, if you want it to be a meeting where everybody is up and working, you're going to have to physically move the tables out of the room to kind of make that behavior change. Otherwise, people are just going to use furniture as it is. So those, those are like the nuances. Like I feel like people are trying to build in greater flexibility, but like there's an operational side or component that they're not necessarily thinking about 
and I know you said one thing and now this is probably three, but <laughs> you like, no one truly knows, you know, people are asking like, Oh, what are your, what are your deaths to person ratio? And I was like, are you, I used to be able to rattle that off. No problem. Based on utilization and occupancy and desk assignments and who is coming in and what groups were coming in. I was like, what are yours? Like what, what like magical mathematic equation are you using to figure out how many people are going to be in the office at a regular basis? right now. Um, so I think it's going to be at least two years to get back to some normalcy where everybody is like comfortable taking mass transit again. Um, and there is some type of normalcy. So things are going to change. Like there's going to be a lot of dynamics and shift over those two years until we figure it out. So just be patient and know that what you implement the first time. Um, so I'm sorry for anyone who just like built out a brand new glorious office space with like social distancing and everything. I think it's still going to continue to evolve and it's going to be a while before we really settle in and understand the new norm. Yeah. And if we think about it, historically, the last pandemic took, I think, about three years for that to just get ironed out itself. No, so then now we're like five years out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I imagine another uh, year or two of fleshing out exactly how we move forward afterwards. But thank you so much, Evelyn. Um, for our listeners, Evelyn is a fantastic follow. If you are on the operations side, if you want to know more about workplace, fantastic follow. Evelyn, what's the best place they can connect with you and follow along? Um, so I, I'm more of a lurker on social media than I am a poster. I admit to it, but um, I'm at Evelyn M as in Michelle Lee, all one word on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can reach me at Evelyn at practiceofarchitecture.com. And if you're in the architecture space listening to this, please check out the podcast Practice Disrupted. Yeah, and they did a full, Evelyn broke down the hybrid practice on a full episode, so you get 45 minutes to dive into this subject. I think maybe an hour, actually, uh, into Depends this Depends specific... on what you guys cut it to. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so you could check that out. Fantastic follow for the podcast on everything on the practice side, even outside of architecture. Definitely check them out. Uh, that's Practice Disrupted. Uh, thank you again, Evelyn, for joining us. Thank you, Jason, for sitting down again. Thank you to the listeners for listening. We will talk again next week. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Twin Motion for their support of this podcast episode. Don't forget to visit twinmotion.link slash spaces today and try Twin Motion for free. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon.
Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.